All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be spending all day here in these passages that I'm about to read. And Paul is really coming to the conclusion of an expression of God's mystery, the mystery of God's will, which Paul now understands, and he is relating this to us. The mystery of his will, that is the summing up of all things in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to begin reading in verse 11 of Ephesians 2. And I just want to point out that it easily divides itself into three sections. You'll notice in verse 11, you have the word remember. This is something in which the Gentile believers there, this is the way they used to be, or the position that they used to be in. Then if you look at verse 13, you have, but now in Christ Jesus. So this is the position that they are presently having been unioned in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 19, Paul's going to conclude or give the consequences of this union when he says, so then you are no longer. And so easily divides itself up, and if the Lord be pleased, we'll handle the first two of those divisions here this morning. Let's read together Ephesians 2 verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, 
being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What we have going on here is this amazing expression of the grace of God. And you remember that both the beginning and the middle and the end is it's all to be to the praise of the glory of His grace. This grace of His mercies that have come to us in His Son. And we noted last Lord's Day, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the what? It is the gift of God. We have been saved by this marvelous grace, and it is a work that has been brought about in Christ Jesus And that this work, being saved by grace, is not of ourselves. Meaning that this salvation is not inherent within man. Man doesn't have the ability to save himself or herself. Man doesn't have the capacity even to think about it. Fallen men and women think that they're saved by their what? by their works, and that they have the inherent capacity to deliver themselves. And the Bible categorically and dogmatically denies that. This wholeness of our salvation is not inherent within us. It is not of ourselves, nor is it of works. It's not gained through our works, and it's not gained by our working for it. It has to be, look at verse 8 again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it has to be how? By the gift of God. And we noted that what the Bible means by being a gift is that it is something that is not owed to us. This isn't like a Christmas gift where you just kind of go and take the package and you kind of unwrap the bow and there it is and the package is there. And if you just take that package, then you're saved. No, gift means that it is gratuitous. It is not owed to us. It's by grace or by His mercies that He has done these things. Why does it have to be that way? Well, note verse 9. Not as a result of works, so that... And what do we do with all things of God? We make it man-centered. So that no man can boast. And that no man includes Jew or Gentile. We, having received this gift of salvation, is come to us so that from beginning, that is prior to the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.3, all the way through to the exceeding ages that are before us, look in chapter 2 and verse 7, so that the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us, So prior to the foundation of the world, all the way to the worlds that are without end, all of it would be by grace, not by our works. And all of it is not owed to us. It is something given to us 
by His kindness, mercies, and grace. And folks, when we really meditate on that, we kind of come to this conclusion, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. This is the gift of God. And folks, the amazing thing about it all is we're not saved on the basis of our faith. We're saved by grace on the work of Jesus Christ. But our faith is the channel by which we access, as it were, that grace. Faith is that channel by which we appropriate that which has already been done. Look at what it says in verse 10. For we are His workmanship. We are, believing people, are the thing that God has created. We are the work of His hands. We are His workmanship. When was that workmanship done? We are created in who? Christ Jesus. Everybody see that? The word created is not present tense, it's past tense. When did this creation occur? It occurred at a historical moment in human history some 2,000 years ago. And we saw that in Ephesians 1. Let's just go back there and look at this surpassing power in which God did this. When he says, verse 19, that all that God has done from the foundation of the world to the accomplishment of it in His Son, these are all in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Now note verse 20 which He brought about in who? In Christ. Alright? When did that happen? Verse 20. When God the Father raised the Son from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly places at His right hand. That's when all this was accomplished. So in other words, folks, when we are thinking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, when we're thinking about the gospel, you've got to think way beyond of this. Oh, well, that was the place that justification was accomplished. Is that not true? That is true. But there was way more accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection than just that. Our sanctification was accomplished. Our glorification was assured. It was accomplished in Christ. Why? Because we are, as believing people, organically unioned with Him. Ephesians 5. We are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. That is an organic union. So that when Christ died, believers died. When Christ was buried, believers were buried. When Christ arose from the grave, believers arose from the grave. When Christ was seated at the right hand of God, believers were 
seated at that same exact moment. And that is why he says to us, look in chapter 2, verse 5, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now look at verse 6. And raised us up with Him, past tense, and seated us with Him, past tense, where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everybody see that? This is amazing. This is the glories of His grace. We are the thing that God created in His dear Son. We are His workmanship. So behold, Paul would write, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? He is a new creature. He is a new creation. Behold, look at this. Old things are gone. New things are here. And all that which is new, it's all of God. Everybody hear that? It's all of Him. It's His work that He has accomplished. And folks, that workmanship that was created in that historical moment with that we call the gospel, that workmanship has an aim. Look at verse 10 again. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Now folks, this is where people get messed up. Good works begin when you live. In other words, we don't do good works to gain life. We do good works when we live. And that life, that eternal life that has been given to us in His Son is gratuitous, it is free, it is the work of God, but now God has done that work in us, this amazing work, and that these good works, when were those good works prepared? Look at the verse again. It was prepared beforehand. When did God prepare these good works? Before the very foundation of the world. And God intends for us to what? To walk in those good works. And folks, last Lord's Day we looked at all those good works, but let's just look at a sample of them. Look in Ephesians 4. In verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called. Here's some of those good works, pre-prepared, verse 2. How about this? Humility. Gentleness. <coughs> patience. Love. Preserving the unity of the Spirit. Are those not good works? In other words, folks, when we look at these good works, these are good works that are flowing from inside of us. It's a change happening internally that we are to walk externally. We are to walk in those good works. This isn't as simple as looking like a Christian, going where Christians are supposed to go, abstaining from where Christians shouldn't go. All those things are there. 
But what God is interested in is that He has begun a good work in you and that He has given to every believer the willing and the doing to His good pleasure. So work out your salvation in fear and what? Why? This is God working inside of us. It's amazing, isn't it? And folks, as we look at this, we could just sum up those good works as being the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul would delineate in Galatians chapter 5, in the outworking of that fruit of the Spirit. Now folks, it is amazing that this book to the Ephesian church, a church that was predominantly made up of Gentile people, It's amazing that this book was written just some 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's three decades. And what is amazing is that within those 30 years, Gentile believers are already coming to a place of forgetting the significance of their inclusion into the body of Christ. The book of Romans was written some two years prior to the book of Ephesians. That would make it some 28 years after the resurrection of Christ. And what is Paul having to tell the Roman Gentile believers? Don't be arrogant. Don't exalt yourself. Remember, you were engrafted. You're a wild branch and you were engrafted into the true vine. Everybody hear that? Within 28 to 30 years, Gentile believers were already forgetting the significance of what Christ had done for them. Now folks, if that was true within 28 to 30 years, what would you think might have happened after 2,000 years? What do you think? Could it, could the possibility exist that we as Gentile believers living in 2022 are under that same danger and maybe more under that same danger than ever before. And so folks, what we need to do first of all is that we need to remember something. And you'll note in verse 11, Paul says, therefore, based on what he's already said, that we're saved by grace to the praise of that glory is the gift of God. We are His workmanship. We're created for good works. Therefore, remember, verse 11, and verse 12, remember that you were. So folks, we need to stop and remember our former position as Gentile, unbelieving people. 
Now folks, Paul has already mentioned the former position. If you look at chapter 2, look at verse 1, when he says, and you, and the you there is referring to Gentiles, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Was that true? That certainly was true. Those Gentile people, verse 2, formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Was, is that not true even today? That is true even today. And we too were in that same boat. But Paul immediately in verse 3 uses this phrase, among them, that is the sons of disobedience, we too, meaning the Jew also, walked in this fashion. We walked according to the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Not just Gentile people were children of wrath, Jewish people were children of wrath also. So that we all were under that same curse. But folks, there were other things going on than just that. When we're talking about Jew and Gentile, we're talking about two distinct ethnicities. Now note verse 11. Here's what we need to remember. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the what? In the flesh. So we're talking worldly here. You who were called uncircumcised by who? The circumcision. Well, who was that? That was the Jew. The Jew circumcised Not circumcised by heart, but circumcised made by human hands. They looked upon Gentile people as those people, the dogs, the uncircumcised. In other words, not only did the Jew and Gentile, not only did the Jew recognize that distinction, now please follow this, but the world also recognizes that same distinction. And they do today, don't they? They talk about the Jew. They talk about the Israelites. They might refer to them as the people of God. They might refer to them as people of the land. Of course, you have all the Jewish jokes, right? and scorn and sarcasm that the world gives to that ethnic group. But folks, when they do that, what they're doing is is they are recognizing a distinction. A distinction that was placed there by God between Jewish, that ethnicity, and the rest of the world that was called what? Gentile people. Or as Paul would word it in Romans the Greeks, or the barbarians. In other words, he's speaking to Gentile people. He's speaking to you and me. Remember this, that there is a distinction in ethnicity when we're talking about in the flesh. 
And that distinction is made up between a nation of people who are Jewish by birth. They are the seed of Abraham. And their circumcision has been made with human hands. On what day? The eighth day of their birth, birth, all males were to be what? Were to be circumcised. Now folks, there were certain consequences of that. And those consequences are given to us in the second remembrance statement in verse 12. He's actually going to give to us five things that were true of our former position as Gentile people, and we need to remember this. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God, where? In the world. He's talking about in the world according to the flesh. Now folks, let's let's think about this just for a little while. Let's think in terms of human history. Somewhere around 2000 B.C., God selected a man whose name was Abraham. Through his seed, singular, all the world was to be what? To be blessed. He had two different types of seed. He had a seed that was like the dust of the earth. That's the Jews according to the flesh. And he had a seed like the heavenly stars that shine. And folks, for 2,000 years, some 400 years after that, God took that dust of the earth, those earthly Jews, and He brought them out of what nation? Egypt. Egypt. And He formed them into an ethnic group that we call the nation of Israel. Everybody with me? And God gave to them the law. He gave to them the Scripture. He gave to them the promises of that earthly people the Messiah was going to come. He gave them the ministry of the temple. He gave to them the glory of all these things. The majesty of them. Think about that earthly temple and the Bible says that that Ark of the Covenant were the soles of God's own feet. And God, by His Spirit, filled the temple, and it was so thick, the priests couldn't even minister in that temple. And they fell on their faces before God. 
And folks, to that nation belonged all these things and more. To that nation belong the adoption, Romans chapter 9 tells us. And you've already come across that word in Ephesians chapter 1, have you not? Folks, God made Himself known to that earthly people. In those days, if a Gentile had any inkling of wanting to do the will of God, they would have had to get in a boat, go across land thousands of miles, so that they could enter that one temple, that one temple, to worship God and to offer appropriate sacrifices according to the law by faith. Everybody with me? The Gentile people, as it were, were excluded from these things. And folks, that brings us to those five things. The Gentile people were separated from Christ. They They were born, they lived their lives, and they died in mass numbers apart from Christ. They were excluded. Note in verse 12, they were excluded from the commonwealth or the citizenry of Israel. They were alienated from being the earthly people of God. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. The word strangers means it was completely unknown to Gentile people. Folks, those people who lived on the North American continent all their lives, the Indians, you go into South America, the Maya, all those people, they were completely ignorant of these promises. Completely ignorant of them. They had no confident expectation of God's mercies reaching them. And in verse 12, it says, without God. In the Greek, that's one word. Theos, which you're familiar with, which means what? God. And there's a little prefix on there, ah. Not God. No God. So they created their own gods. Gods out of wood and stone and sticks and spiritualism. Gods of their imagination. They were apart from God the world was. They were alienated from God the world was. They were ignorant of God the world is. They had no assurance, no God, just like today. 
You go to a lost person and say, are you going to go to heaven? They'll probably say, yes. You say, how are you going to get there? Well, I hope my good, I hope my good works out way. No confident expectation of God's mercies in their life at all. That's the way you and I were. And folks, that is a problem. You and I, 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we probably don't even recognize the problem that exists. What is the problem? The Abrahamic covenant said all ethnicities would be what? Does everybody hear that? Not just Jew. All the nations, all the ethnos would be blessed through that seed. So the question then is, how can these things somehow be solved so that the blessing of Abraham would not just come upon an earthly ethnicity that we call Israel today, or the Jew, but that that salvation would extend throughout the whole what? The whole world. And folks, what is needed is given to us in verses 13 through 18. And I want you to note in verse 14, it says, it uses this word, He Himself is our peace. Everybody see that? Our peace. Look at verse 15. Look at the end of that verse. Christ did something, thus establishing what? Peace. Look at verse 17. He came and preached what? Peace. To you who are far away, Gentile people, and preach peace to those who were near, that is, Jewish people. What had to happen was peace had to occur. Now folks, when he uses peace here, he's not talking about the peace with God that occurred through our justification. He's not talking about the peace of God that we can have that passes all human understanding and can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so that we are not under the bondage of care and anxiety. He's not talking about that peace either. What peace is he talking about? The peace between Jew and Gentile. Everybody see that? Something had to happen there so that there would no longer be hostility between those two because something has to happen so that they can become one. Note that in our text. Look at verse 14. Both groups into one. 
Verse 15, two into one new man. Verse 16, both in one body. Verse 18, we both have our access. Everybody see that? Something had to happen between the Jew and the Gentile. Peace had to occur. Something had to be brought to pass so that the blessing of Abraham could be extended to every ethnicity on the face of this globe. What had to happen and why did it have to happen? What happened when Christ died? Did something die when Christ died? Was something created when Christ died? What's going to happen to the enmity, the hostility between Jew and Gentile? Now folks, to answer that question, we have to look at how that hostility began. How did it begin? Well, look at verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were formerly far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ or by His death. Verse 14. For He Himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who made both groups into one, now know what happened, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Everybody see that? Folks, what happened historically is that God Himself, when He gave that nation the Mosaic Law, He erected, He set up a dividing wall. He set up a separating partition. What was the separation? between Gentiles and Jews. God chose that nation. When God chose that nation, gave them that Mosaic Law, that became the dividing partition between that fleshly ethnicity that we call Israel today, the Jew, and the rest of the world. It was a separating partition. It said that in the world there were Jews and there were Gentiles. That's separation, isn't it? It said in the world that there was to be circumcised and uncircumcised. Is that not a separation? It said that there was clean and unclean. And you'll recall that even in the dietary law, God said, I'm giving you this dietary law, not for your hygiene. I'm giving you the dietary law to set up a distinguish between clean and unclean. And you're only to eat what kind of animal? Clean animals. That wasn't true for Gentile people. It was a separating wall. 
And God set up a wall of separation that He called holy and unholy. Everybody follow me. This is very, very important that you understand that that was one of the functions of the law. And that Mosaic law which set up that dividing wall, that separating partition of which physical circumcision was the sign of their separation. It was the sign of the covenant according to the flesh. And folks, we know this. I'll just quote to you two passages. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, God says, we are, to, we are so as to make a distinction between holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean, and so as, now hear this, to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken to them through Moses. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, God tells them, You are to be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy. Now listen to what he says. And I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Does everybody see that separating partition? These are my people, not those outside that ethnic group that we call the Jew. And folks, what happened to that Jew and Gentile is that Christ, at His death, became our peace. The peace between us to the Jew and the peace of the Jew to the Gentile, Christ became our peace our peace because he takes believing Jews and believing Gentiles and now there's no wall of separation between those two. They're now what? One. Everybody see that? Now folks, when I say they became one, it doesn't mean that Gentiles became Jews. Nor does it mean that the Jew became a Gentile. Those ethnicities, according to the flesh, in the death of Christ, were made what? One. Equal. As believing people. What it means is those dividing distinctions are done. They're done. In Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew or Gentile. There's only believers. Regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your nationality, Regardless of all these things, there's only one. Look at what it says here. Look at verse 14 again. He broke down, he abolished the barrier of the dividing wall. Where did he do it? Verse 15. 
by abolishing in his flesh. Everybody see that? In the death of the body of Jesus Christ, the enmity. What was the enmity? Verse 15. The law of commandments contained in ordinances. Everybody see that? Folks, the word ordinances means the rules to live by or the rules to observe. That Mosaic law separated that ethnicity. But because they were separated and God was dealing primarily through that nation, the Gentiles, the blessing of Abraham, could not come into all the world. So in the death of Christ, God, Christ abolished these things. And folks, I want to put a little footnote here lest your mind run in this direction. It wasn't because the law was bad. But folks, you and I know, and we've done it ourselves, that our flesh uses God's good law to create hostility and pride. And folks, you know from Romans chapter 2, Paul writes that God is blasphemed through what ethnic group? The Jew. Why? Because the Jew would say, don't steal but they what? They stole. They would say, don't blaspheme, but they what? They blasphemed. And the Gentiles would blaspheme God because of their inconsistency in keeping the law. Alright? How did the Jew look at the Gentile? I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. They, their sinful nature took that same good and holy law and twisted it to build their own what? Their pride. Because they were the people of God. Separated from all the lost dogs, the Gentile dogs that are out there. Everybody see that? It wasn't a problem of God's law. It's a problem in us. So when Christ died, the enmity, what is the enmity? The law of commandments contained in ordinances. That enmity died. It was abolished. It was removed. God put it to death. The word means God killed it. And He killed it in the death of Jesus Christ. So that this is what happened, folks. What happened in Christ's death was... Remember, the blessing of Abraham has to come, right? 
Those law commandments contained an ordinance created an enmity between Jew and Gentile. God killed it. He put it to death. But He did something else. He created something. Look at what it says. Verse, four, verse 15, <clears throat> By abolishing in His flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so that... Here's the purpose. In Himself He might make or create the two into what? One new man. Everybody see that? He created, remember, He created us in Christ Jesus, did He not? But He created us in Christ Jesus, not as I'm a Jewish believer, I'm a Gentile believer. No, the dividing wall is done. He created one new man in the person of Jesus Christ. And folks, when He created that one new man in Christ Jesus, verse 15, He established what? Peace. Understood. Between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And folks, isn't it amazing that we can have a congregation, we don't have any Jewish people, converted Jews in our congregation, but we could have converted Jews and converted Russians and converted Americans and converted Japanese and converted Chinese and converted those from South Africa. Name the nation. And we're at peace. Because the dividing wall isn't there. We are one in Christ Jesus. Everybody see that? And folks, this is amazing. That all this, all this occurred in that historical moment when Christ died. When He said, it is finished. Was it? Yes. It was. Every believer created in Him. One new man created in Him. The new creation begun in Him. One Spirit given to every person. Amazing. What would that take to do that? The surpassing greatness of the power of God. Right? Yeah. And folks, you and I would not have known that. This is part of summing up everything in Christ. If God had not revealed the mystery of His will to this man, this Jewish man who God saved named Saul of Tarsus. And because of that, <clears throat> that opened the door. <clears throat> Look at verse 16 so that God could reconcile both Jew and Gentile, not in two bodies, in what? In one body, to God, through His cross, by it having put to death the enmity, verse 17, and He came and preached peace to you who are far away. What group is that? Gentile people. And He came and preached peace to those who were near. Who was that? That was the Jew. 
Folks, the same gospel, the same peace to both groups. You and I as Gentile people need to remember this amazing truth on how we became included in the promises uh, to Abraham. Folks, His death, the death of Christ, open access. Look at verse 18. For through Him we both have our access in one Spirit. Everybody see that? Folks, every ethnicity (coughs) needs the Gospel. Sometimes we talk about Israel being the people of God as if they're saved people. They're not. They're an earthly people who still maintain the walls of partition. But there is no longer a wall of partition. God destroyed it in His Son. And He created in His Son one new man so that Jew and Gentile can receive the same Spirit, the same sealing in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, the same pledge of the inheritance. Both groups are given that gift. Can you not praise Him for His grace? Now folks, Paul is going to revisit this oneness. And we saw here, verse 14, one group. Verse 15, one new man. Verse 16, both in one body. Verse 18, we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. And if I could just say this, Jews from the standpoint of God and the Gospel, are no more special than any other ethnos on this globe. They need salvation. They're near to God because they have the Scriptures, they have the Word, they have the Law, they have all these things that pointed them to Christ. But they failed to see it. Now, there is no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. And if you go over to chapter 4 of this book, you remember we read here in our review about these good works, humility, gentleness, with patience, tolerance with one another in love. And look at what he says. And look at the oneness. Verse 3. Diligent to preserve the unity. unity. Everybody see that? Of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look at verse 4. How many bodies? One. How many spirits? How many callings? How much hope? Same hope. Jew and Gentile. 
How many lords? Verse 5. How many faiths? How many baptisms? How many God and Father overall? Verse 6. Everybody see that? And folks, in Christ, there's no such thing as an American Christian. A Russian Christian. There's no such thing as Gentile Christian. Messianic Christian. Those are all labels created by man. They are not in agreement. If you say, I'm a Messianic Jew, I'm a Messianic believer, I'm Jewish, I'm a Messianic Jew, and you're a Gentile, you're erecting a wall. Does everybody see that? By the very label, you're erecting a wall. And that wall was abolished in the Son of God. So there is a unity. And folks, you know this. You can meet a believer, a genuine believer from another nation, and immediately there's fellowship. Not around your ethnicity. Not around your nationality. There's a, there's a fellowship because we are all strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are one in Christ Jesus. And folks, the only thing, you're here in Ephesians 4, and we just read all this oneness. The only thing that is distinctive about us is that we have, look at verse 7 of Ephesians 4, we have different what? Giftedness. Everybody see that? Different giftedness. And all that was given by the Holy Spirit of God. You might say, well, pastor, you have the gift of teaching. Another person might say, well, I have the gift of mercy. We're one in Christ, but are there differences? There's a difference in the sense that that's your major gift. That's your part in the body. But the body is one. And folks, we need to remember this. And this afternoon, you need to take time and thank God for this mercy that He has shown to us as Gentile people. You need to take time to meditate on what type of surpassing greatness of power could bring this about. And as you meditate on that, it will give you a confidence in God. It will give you a confident expectation that He will bring to pass those promises in your life also. Because if He can do the greatest thing, He can certainly do the lesser thing in you and in me. All, all to the praise of the glory of His grace. Let's pray.